Hello, loves. Welcome back to the Living Out Love podcast. If you are watching on YouTube, you recognize this familiar face. This week, I'm joined by Stephanie Foy. She is my mom. She's also an integrative Enneagram coach and facilitator. She has an extensive background in emotional intelligence, which has helped me become the functional human that I am. <laughs> and I brought her back on to do some coaching with me that you all can benefit from, I hope. It will at least be interesting. If you didn't listen to the episode that Stephanie and I did previously on the Enneagram, go check that out. And if you didn't listen to the episode that I did last week, let me just catch you up real quick and say that I have sort of self-diagnosed myself with autism, ADHD, and something called RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria. And when I was reading about RSD, I was like, that's my type two Enneagram, that's my type two. So I couldn't wait to have Stephanie back on with us to, to talk to us about type twos. And in my specific case, what are some tools I can use when I know I'm falling into the dark side of the two? So Stephanie, mom, welcome back. So I think that it'd be helpful for your listeners for us to just do a quick summary of type two. So even if they listen to the podcast, we'll kind of bring you back focused. And then we can dive into sort of current stuff and then how do we get ourselves out of it? Okay, so quick refresher. Type twos, bottom line, their motivation is they need to be liked and they need to be loved. They want to be helpful. They want to be supportive. But in exchange for that, they're looking for people to like and appreciate them. Even more so with self-preservation type twos, which as we've talked about, the self-pres versus uh, the one-to-ones or the socials. So the biggest vulnerability that twos have is in being unloved. That, that feels like the worst thing that could happen to a two is somebody would not love me. Whereas some other numbers wouldn't give a flip. So I mean, just you saying those words, being unloved, my body starts to think I'm going to die. Like yeah. I get this weird, creepy sensation that I might just cease to exist. Yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> Whereas no, probably no other number would have that same response. Mm because that's the vulnerability of the two. So the vulnerability of a three is something different. Vulnerability of one, something different. So yes, so that's the, that's the vulnerability. Um, the, the counter to that though, is this, the holy idea, which is that there's a divine order, that there's a holy will, that um, the universe is in bigger, like me as a two, I don't have to control everything. There's a bigger order. And if I could let go, good will prevail. Mm. So, it's a, so it's just an idea to sort of put out there that that's where the twos can lean into is what I would call divine will or divine order. That there's, there's something bigger at work than myself. Mm. And when I get past, when I get into that space, then I can, I can, know that I'm going to be taken care of. You're going to be valued. You're going to be appreciated. So, but what happens for twos is when they feel anxious about being unloved or unappreciated or unliked, you know, like you just put mm -hmm. it on a scale from like to love, <clears throat> then what happens is it triggers defense mechanisms or they move, they act out of their blind spots, which then, you know, it becomes, in my mind, sort of a self-reinforcing loop. Like they act out, then people respond in a way that, you know, that feels to them like rejection. So then they act out more. So you, you see where- Yes, we, I'm very familiar with that loop. Yes. You get it. And the truth is the people that are responding to them may or may most likely not do not have Whatever it is the two's thinking, it's not what the other person is thinking. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're thinking something's awful. This is the worst thing. Yeah. They're going to hate me. They're going to whatever. And the other person's not thinking that at all. But they create this self-reinforcing loop of moving into their triggers and their defense mechanisms. 
So just with that as a framework to think about. So the question is, how do we get to the high side of two? How do we get right. to that, the, the high side that then gives you the opportunity as a two to integrate with your wings, the one and the three, and to utilize your stretch and release lines, which are the eight and the four. So how do we get to there? But as you and I know, if you're stuck emotionally, that cognitive leap is not available. Right. Because, you know, what we talk about in terms of the Enneagram is moving into those spaces of, you know, wings or, or lines of, that's a cognitive process to start with. You can you take yourself cognitively there and then your emotions follow. But mm -hmm. if your emotions are so triggered in the two space that you can't get yourself there, then we need to do another process. We need to do some sort of emotional process to get yourself to an emotional state where you then have the cognitive energy to move into a different place. Is that helpful? It is. It is. I've been thinking about what it might be like to be a two that wasn't a self-preservation two. Yes. Because my husband is, is a self-preservation, is a two that's not self-preservation. And he seems to genuinely enjoy helping other people and being in a relationship with other people. Yes. And often for me, it may look like I'm enjoying it and I may be enjoying it to some extent, but at the same time, it can feel like I'm fighting for my life. Like yeah. if in helping this person, they don't decide they like me, my life is on the line. And so it puts this pressure on it number one, that makes it less fun. And then number two, it makes me very self-oriented in my relationships. It's very, it's ironic because the two is like about others, but because I feel like my life depends on it, it makes me hyper fixated on me and like whether or not somebody likes me. Right. And that's the thing that I'm like, I would really like to outgrow this <laughs> to whatever extent I can. Yeah, so true. Uh, so Jared is a an SX two. He's a one to one two, and we know some other twos that are SO twos, social twos. So yeah, they even though they have the same motivation, how they experience it is different. And most self preservation numbers, there is a level of um, just what it says: self preservation, like. I'm I'm not gonna live if I don't do this thing. That it, it's right. It really it's like is a about fear is the motivator is what it feels like. Yes. To some degree it's it's fear of whatever is the thing that, you know, for eights it'd be fear of being out of control. <laughs> you know, mm. or somebody else it'd be fear of not being perfect. So um but the fear takes over. So and especially if you're a self pres type then it's going to be more intensely focused on self. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. the other types are not going to be as, not have the same level of intentional focus on self. So, um, so we're trying to kind of think, go, go back to that conversation we were having. It's like, okay, so if we're, if you're stuck, emotionally no matter what number you are but as a two because that's going to be a lot more self-focused they're going to be more inward and it's all about being liked and perceived the, your perception about whether or not people like you or not that's the truth it really gets down to your the perception, perception. <laughs> about whether or not people like you or value you not about their stuff at all it's right. just about how you perceive yourself in relation mm -hmm. to others mm -hmm. So I think the question for me would be um, sort of where are you emotionally? Because moving into, like I said, the wings, the, the wings of one and three or the stretch and release lines of four and eight can only happen if you've processed to the, any emotions that are in the way. Does that right. make sense? Right. So if, if we've got an emotion that's in the way, then we need to work at that level first 
and then we can move into um, something that would move you to a different place. Right. When you asked where I was at emotionally, the first word that came to mind was curious. I feel curious about how things might be different. Um, Different strategies I might employ to perceive things differently. And then as I was allowing myself to go down that track, I didn't get very far because I just felt this fear. And it feels like, ironically, I carry so much fear about what other people think, but this fear feels like, what if I can't do better? Like, what if I'm stuck with this? Right. What if, what if this is the best it's ever going to get? Yeah. And it's so ironic because I feel like the whole crux of my being is just like, everybody love me, you know, but because it's so self-oriented, I end up being a jerk. (laughs) If I wasn't worried about whether or not people loved me, it would allow me to just go and be in the world. Yeah. Um, So I, I'm af- I'm afraid that that I'm stuck with this. So okay, so would you like to do a process around that feeling? Because if we could let go of the feeling, then it could move into something else. But you yeah. have to decide. Okay, so um, I think the idea is that we would try some techniques. So there's a technique called the Sedona method. Um claim that I uh, I think was originated by Hale Dwoskin, D-W-O-S-K-I-N and uh, it's a process and a lot of people find it very comforting because it's pretty much a, it's an easy way to think through emotions because so, I mean, truthfully in our Western society we're not really de- taught to deal with our emotions. Right. We're taught to stuck, stick them to the side and we'll deal with that later or something. So this is a process that um, we can start with, and then we'll see if how you feel at the end. And if that doesn't, if not, we'll do something else. How about that? Okay. So um, first you want to do is identify what is the negative feeling you're feeling about the situation. So you've already said, I feel like I could be stuck like this forever. I'll never, I'll never get over this. I'll never you know, get, get, get past this point right here. Is that right? Right. I feel fear. Okay. I feel fear that I'm going to be stuck here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, the first question is, could you allow yourself to welcome the feeling as best you can? Just welcome that and just say, I'm just going to, I'm going to be here until I'm, I'm old and gray. Yes. Okay. And you get really get where that is, where it lives in your body. Try to embrace it. It's funny. It's like it sits right in front of my spinal column. It's like not in the vertebrae themselves. It's like right in front of it. It's interesting. I don't know, but that's where I feel it. Okay. So. Would you be willing to let it go? Yes. Will you let it go? Yes. When? Tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I feel like it's dissipating now, but it's just dissipating very slowly. Okay. So you envision that feeling just like a pencil in your hand. You just put all that into a pencil. Just envision holding a pencil and that's all that is in that. 
and then you just let that go. Turn your hand over. Let it go. I feel like my body or my brain or something is telling me that the fear is keeping me safe. Ah, okay. All right, so... It's like I want to let it go, but I'm afraid to let go of the fear. <laughs> uh, okay. So, <clears throat> would we be willing to welcome this feeling that this is keeping me safe? Yes. Resistance. That's what I'm feeling. Yes. Okay. I'm w willing to welcome resistance. Okay. And... Oh my um, gosh, that one goes so easily. Uh, the resistance? Yeah, like as soon as I was willing to welcome it, I like I just feel like I can put it down. Okay, so you could let go of the resistance to letting it go. Mm -hmm. And now I'll go back to the question. So when will you let this go? When will you let this other fear, that base fear that I'm going to be stuck here like this for the rest of my life? In 10 seconds. Okay. Yeah, I just feel like, at least for now. So, is, is there another feeling that's part of this? What else um, is part of it? Shame. Mm, okay. You want to say any more about that, or is that enough? That's enough. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> would you be willing to welcome that feeling? Oh, yeah. This one, I feel, I feel honestly like as I'm, as I'm welcoming it, I almost feel it dissipating at the same time. Yeah. Because my willingness to welcome it was such a loving decision that I feel like the energy of love is like, okay, let's go shame. Like, yeah, we're out. Yeah. Let's, let's be done with this. Um, Plus, just acknowledging that that's what I was feeling kind of made it right. less powerful. Yeah, it, it, you know, what they say is when you name it, you claim it. Yeah. And once you claim it, you can let it go. It's like, does that make sense? Mm hmm Yeah. So, um, so are you willing to let go of the shame? Yes. When will you let it go? Now. And I'm just going to, for the audience at home, I'm envisioning like an energy in my body that's leaving. And as the energy is leaving, I'm seeing my body full of pink light, which usually represents unconditional love. Think of a rose quartz. Um, and that's helping me allow that. It's like helping me feel the shift in energy. So just... Right. It's a good, good idea. And you can also kind of think about how does that energy, how does that in the case of what you just did, shame, how does it feel? Sometimes you'll you'll sense like, ooh, it feels like that green monster, or it feels like a black cloud, or it feels like something that's, you know, got got a negative connotation for self. Okay, so is there another feeling that's part of this? I mean, now I feel I'm back to curious and I'm back to like a teeny tiny bit hopeful. <laughs> Okay. Like I'm probably curious at like a four, maybe a six. I'm hopeful at like a 1.5. <laughs> okay. All right. So is there no other feelings that we need to clear on at this point? 
I don't, I don't think so. I think the other feeling that I have that I do have is I feel eager, like I'm ready to, to learn and see if I can experience a new perspective or shift. So I didn't ask you, and I should have asked you at the beginning to identify the level of intensity on a scale of one to 10 that you were feeling fearful about this situation. What would you have said if I had asked you that? I didn't. Oh man, I would have said a 9.5. Okay. And so now I'm going to ask you the question, what's your intensity of the feeling of thinking that the fear that you're going to be stuck like that? If you hadn't asked me how I was feeling, I wouldn't have identified fear at all. Okay. Um, but because I'm focused on fear, I would say it's less than a two. Okay. So I'm, it's not completely gone, but it's significantly decreased. Yes. And the thought that I have correlated to that emotion is worst case scenario, I'm going to stay who I am now. Right. Which isn't the worst. <laughs> Like, I'm not the worst human on the planet, so if I stay who I am, okay, but I'd like to get better. But you recognize your own suffering in yeah. that in that state that you would like to not have, I would guess. Right, but it's survivable. I've made it 37 years. Right, but why, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I will, I will, um, I'm going to interject just for the listeners, because you said you should have asked me. A lot of Sedona method doesn't ask you to name the intensity. That's a combination of two different emotional intelligence methods. You can name the intensity, but you don't have to. Um, and we'll link to the Sedona method book in the show notes. Okay. So if you feel like, so the question becomes to move on to the next kind of look at this. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. if, if this is, where I'm at on the low side of two, we've cleared the emotional stuff to look at the high side of two or to look into how do I lean into the other parts? The question is, do you feel emotionally clear to move on to what I would think of as a little more cognitive work? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. So let's go to, um, I'm thinking maybe it would be helpful to do a little work around the high side of two before we talk about the wings or the stretch one. Does that feel right? Let's do it. Okay. So um, really to get to the high side of two, the integrated two, you're really looking at how do we um, sort of, I don't mean control or get over because, you know, as, as our language talks about, how do we integrate to, how do we integrate this into our life? And so I would say in some ways you've done a lot to integrate the self, the high side of two in terms of what people are looking, what people expect from a two, what twos expect from themselves to be helpful, to make a difference in the life of other people. So in some ways, you're you're doing that. That's what you're mm-hmm. doing in this work. That's what you want to do with your channeling, with your support, with your podcast. So in some ways, you're doing that, and you just need to focus on that part and not where twos get hung up is focusing on <clears throat> the expectation that somebody is going to do one thing or the other for them, either like them or not like them, as opposed to I'm helping because it's my calling. Right. I'm I'm doing this work because it feels good to me. I'm doing this work because this is, you know, my mission on, on the planet this lifetime, whatever that is. But knowing that, and that sort of moves into that idea of holy will or divine mm-hmm. order. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm connected to my higher self. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And whatever anybody else gets or doesn't get from my stuff is not mine to do. It's not, that's not my stuff. Right. So there's, in some ways, one of the pieces for twos is to disconnect 
from the expectation that they have about other people. Ooh, that's interesting. Because I'm, I've been sitting with the question of how have I been able to be public? Like, how have I been able to be on social media and on YouTube knowing that a lot of people think that, you know, mediums are scammers and, and all of that. Like, right. and I was somewhere along the way, I've kind of gotten it into my body that if somebody is going to leave a negative comment nine times out of 10, it's not about me. Yeah. Like they just don't believe in the work and that's not about me. And so it feels, right. it doesn't feel good, but it doesn't feel life threatening. And so even there have been a few times, not many, but there's been a few times when a comment has come in that has been upsetting, but I've been able to like regulate my nervous system relatively quickly because I'm like, this is clearly not about me. Right. And so I'm wondering, oh, well, if I can develop that around this business, maybe there's ways I can develop that just around other moms and around the people on the sidewalk, you know, Absolutely. all the other people I'm in, in life with. But have like trying to cultivate that. I don't know how to cultivate it, but it well, seems you possible. Just, you've already done it. So. But that was did... with a really specific thing. Okay. Like, with my business, I feel like I can easily say, oh, they just think this is all made up. That's fine. They are allowed to think that. I'm allowed to not care that they think that. And then we like go our separate ways. If somebody gives me a look, my brain is, if it's just like, I'm going to say moms, if it's moms and we're all at the park together and a mom gives me a look, my brain is going to tell me that it's about me. Mm -hmm. And I have a harder time. Logically, I know they're probably just digging for something in the diaper bag. They're probably a tired mom. They're not thinking about like, logically, I know it's not about me, but I have a really hard time getting this my brain there. Yeah. And it, it takes me a much longer time to regulate my nervous system if I do that at all. Uh, Whereas with okay. the business stuff, it's like I have my repeatable, obvious, logical kind of process of why it wouldn't be about me. Whereas right. in other situations, it's like I have to figure out why it wouldn't be about me. And then my brain just decides that it, in fact, it is about me. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> um, so you could just ask yourself a question. You know, I'm thinking about back to uh, who's work given? Byron Katie. Yes. The first question is, is it true? Whatever the thought is, you know, oh, that mom just gave me a look. She must think I'm blah, 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 whatever that is. Right. Then the next question, take a breath and then ask yourself, is it true? It, my body's going to tell me that it's true. Okay. So then the next question is, how do I know it's true? There you go. <laughs> yeah. How do yeah. I know it's true? Mm -hmm. So that's a like, okay, then that, that sort of takes the air out of the balloon at that moment. Cause it's like, I have no idea. Like you said, that woman could be going through whatever she's going through. She could have had a fight with her husband. You know, you don't know what's happening with other people. Right. And unless they say, you know, it was you, you did this or that, then chances are it wasn't, you know. So, um, I mean, and then there's all that brain research that says, you know, when we, when we experience negative emotion or we perceive that we experience a negative thing, that we hang on to that much longer and much stronger than we hang on to the positive. So we really, it is all about sort of dismantling those thoughts, the feelings, the thoughts that lead to the feelings. Too. But, so mm -hmm. you have to figure out where that changes. So. So I would say from a two perspective, you just have to say, okay, is this real? You know, am I, am I responding to this because I'm triggered because I'm afraid that they're not going to like me or they're not going to love me or that I'm not going to have a relationship or whatever the fear is. 
but mostly it's about not being accepted and appreciated. Right. So then you say, okay, is that true? And if it's not, then you can dismantle it. And then you go on about sort of creating that healthy barrier that you've already created in your business, but in any other life situation. But it's, it really is about creating that habit of interrupting the, the thought and interrupting the pattern because what people do, regardless of whether they're twos or one or not, you know, nine, is we, be- we believe what we believe to be true. Right. <laughs> so unless and until we intervene on ourselves, we're going to keep running our game. So right. it really is about, okay, what is the thing? It's about developing that very disciplined habit, which is what you've done in the business. You've already done this. You just created this bear. You just created that boundary. You just want to expand it a little bit to say, okay, you know, this is, that's their stuff. You know, is, is this me or is that the, <laughs> and if it's the, then I don't need to deal with it. It's not mine to do. So intervening on that self before we get into that self reinforcing loop that says, oh, I'm a bad, awful person or I'm this or I'm that, whatever that is running for you, whatever number you are, whatever is your bottom line um, thing for you is to, for other people, it's other things, but it's that self intervening and the quicker you can intervene on self, the quicker you can bring yourself back to balance. So let me ask you this. And I'd like to ask specifically for me and my two. And then if we could carry it out from there, that'd be great to the other numbers. Okay. So let's say my, the dark side for me of the two is the like people pleasing, blah, blah, blah. Let's say I have the situation with the mom at the park. And I'm able to say, okay, I don't know that this is true. This is me being my two self. I love myself. I'm safe. So I don't need to worry about it. I can sometimes get myself there, mm-hmm. but then I don't know where to go next. Like I sort of feel, you know, um, this is random and I'm getting this image, you know, when in little mermaid, when Ariel gets her seat, like she gets her legs and she stands up and she's just like, well, what do I do now? It's like, I feel like, I get these legs and I'm like, but what do I do? Yeah. So what? is that, is that like, do you go to your stretch? Like, what do I, what do I try to do to shift my energy to something else? So I would tell you as your Enneagram coach, if we're going to try out a few things okay. and you're going to try a few things in the situation and you're going to figure out what is your go-to, what's your natural go-to. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, so, yeah, create like a pattern of here's how I cope. <laughs> here, here's, here's a way out of this. So the first question I always encourage people to think about, okay, I got these wobbly legs, you know, or I, as the person has, <laughs> or whatever. I'm, I'm upright. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Now, how do I navigate out of this? So yeah. because you're too... Your wings, let's look at your wings. So the wing is one or three. So one, um, those are the people that are the strict perfectionists. Those are the people that have a high degree of discernment. Those are people that for whom, you know, um, being careful, being self-controlled, uh, have an integrity. Uh, those are those are hallmarks of the one. So it's like, okay. okay, in a situation, what would a one person who um, has strong values, is careful, and is self-controlled, what would they do? I'm not super familiar with one. And the okay. I can think of a child and... I think they would they would take care of their own business and not worry about what anybody else thinks. Yeah, because they're so, they're especially self-pres ones, they're really interested in showing up as perfect. They want to show up as right. And so they're very self-controlled. So um and if they it, would focus on what they're doing. Exactly. This is what I'm doing and this is how I'm gonna do it. Right. Yeah. 
and uh, their their focus, their motivation, and one is motivated to be good and right. So, mm. you know, what's the right thing to do in this situation? Well, you might say, well, as as an enlightened person, a person who teaches love, the right thing for me to do is have compassion for this other mom. That would be a that would be a. Do you see how that would be a that would shift you to a whole different place? Yes, I was. I'm not going to lie. I was really struggling. Everything I thought of, I was like, oh, I could go over there and send and like see if they were OK. But then that's me trying to earn their affection again. Like every right. idea I had came back to the dark side of two. Right. So <laughs> you could say, OK, what would be um, if we thought about the high side of one, the high side of one being these people that want the world to work well, that they want things to be good and right for themselves and for other people. They, um, their value is on goodness. Their virtue is serenity and peace. So, Oh, now see, they I like think, that. They think that they get to, um, when C1s, they're trying, they're so busy their low side is about trying to perfect the world they're like trying to they think if the, if if only they're perfect they can make the world perfect they can make other people be perfect it's the deal whole deal but yeah. the high side is when they realize that they don't have to go against the world that makes sense i'm not kind of trying to correct it i'm not trying to make it perfect i believe that there's already perfection in the world then i can just be at peace so serenity mm. is what comes from the one on the high side, the virtue. So if you think about that, it's like, okay, what would a high-sided one bring to this? Well, they're going to bring goodness. They're going to bring peacefulness, which I could say also, oh, I'm over here as a two and I'm thinking this person's whatever they're thinking about me. Let me have compassion for them. That would, that'd be a high-sided one. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then the other way to go is to think about going towards the three, which is a different okay. energy than going towards one. Because Yeah, the three I relate to a little bit more. Well, probably because you've lived with one. <laughs> that and I've had to step into that energy to be an entrepreneur. Right. One is more different is, you know. Threes are competitive, achievers, ambitious, busy, practical, focused, adaptive, and task-oriented. Yeah, I had to step into that. <laughs> so when you think about, okay, um, put yourself back in the spot. I'm on the playground. The mom gives me a look. What's a three going to do? No idea. <laughs> well, was there anything in that three description that said they're attentive to other people's feelings? No, not a, not a thing. I'm <laughs> sorry to tell you. No, mostly they're, I mean, it's like, they're going to be results oriented. They're going to, they want to be efficient. They want to be task driven. So, you know, it's like, okay, if that mom is doing whatever she's doing, unless it gets in the way of some outcome that a three is going to have or is working towards, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a value they're like whatever oh it's, gotcha it's a like your brain's just gonna filter that out it just is a non-event like pff, whatever yeah you know now if if they're casting me a look if they're casting a person to look and it's like oh i'm supposed to be working with you to accomplish something now we got i need to i need to dive into that does that make sense because it's part of the task it's part of us working together but if it's just a person on the playground, three's probably not going to even pay attention to it. Like, mm. what am I here to do? What am I here to accomplish? What am I here to achieve? Oh, that's really helpful. I worked with a parenting coach once who was always, in terms of talking to the kids, she's always asking, what is the task? And like clearly defining the task. Yes. <laughs> it's so helpful for me as an adult. So I think that's, that's like a three question. So right. if I get my sea legs, literally asking, what is the task? And then going to your question of what am I here to do? Yeah. 
um, that's really helpful. If I'm, if I'm here at the playground and a woman casts me a look, I'm, I'm here to play with my kids. Right. I'm here to be with them. I'm not here for that. Right. I'm here. That's to, I'm here to make kids and my, sure my kids are safe. You know, I'm here to whatever. So shifting into that sort of task, practical sort of I recently had a uh, a debrief with another dude, and um, that person was going through something with a family member, and I encouraged her to just say, let's lean into your three and go to this other person and say, I need to understand what are the thing what are the things that I can do for you that will give you what you need so just like, mm. leave the feelings out of it <laughs> let's yeah. just let's just tell me the task that tell, i can achieve yeah tell me in other words articulate for me what are the goals what are the goals between you and me because if i can lean into the goals then i'm not going to have to be worried about whether or not i'm satisfying you and whether or not you're going to like and approve me like no let's just i have to say as a two i love those conversations what's that I love to go to my friends and be like, what's the goal for our relationship? Yeah. Like, do you want me to call you every week? Do you like, what kind of support do you want from me? Like, I like having the, the actual outcomes to me is coming back to the desire of making sure I please them so that I can feel loved. Right. <laughs> but I do like having the, like, what is the, the structure of the relationship that's going to meet the outcome goals? Exactly. So you can think about that when, if in the situation of somebody gives you a look or somebody, even a, an offhand comment, which can be even more confrontive than mm-hmm. a look that somebody gives you, then you go, okay, so, so what? I mean, what, what am I here to do? And if they give me an offhand comment, I, can you filter that from a perspective of what are they going for? Not what I'm going for. What are they going for? What is it they need out of that? What is it they're intending to achieve? And let's look at it from this very practical task oriented sort of place. Mm. Which I know is different. It is, but it's it's relatable. With the one, I I could barely I couldn't really relate to that. With the three, I'm like, oh, okay, I can get it. Yeah. It's not my nature, but I can get it. And so it seems to me like with the Enneagram it's so helpful to know a little bit about all of the numbers, but especially like the wings, the stretch and release, you know? Yes. It's like, there's value in that. And those, because those are going to be the things that can help move you out of your stuck places. Right. You know, it's like anything else, getting a new mind around something is what's going to move you out of your stuck place. So to me, it's like, okay, this is the value of the Enneagram is to help us figure out, okay, how do I get a new mind around this? How do I get a different thought? Well, then I got to put myself in somebody else's shoes to think different. And like you say, the more you uh, look at one, integrating the high side of two, and then how do we bring in those other pieces? Yeah. Ones, threes. So. So in the conversation of like, okay, I got my legs. Now, how do I walk? That was go to the wings. And since I'm a two, the numbers on either side are one and three. Those are my wings. Remind me again, I know my stretch is eight and my release is four. Right. When do I use those? Okay. So release just is just exactly what it sounds like. When you are stressed and you need to release the stress or the energy, the negative energy, the, you know, whatever, then you go to your four, which is the release line. I I would have to do that. Like, even if if I'm at the park and the mom gives me the look, even if in the moment I manage to step into the threeness that evening, I'm still going to have to step into the fourness. <laughs> like, it's going to be, you know, there's a difference between the way my body reacts initially and the way I choose to react. Right. So I'm like, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to step into this threeness, but I do still feel like my initial reaction is always going to be, Oh my God, I'm going to die. That person doesn't like me. Right. Well, I have to use that foreignness a lot. 
So, yeah. And you may see that the more you intervene on that thought, the more you ask yourself, is it true? Is it not true? Do I know it's true? Okay. That's what's going to get you those legs we were talking about. Now I can move forward. So the more you intervene on that thought, the earlier you may find you have less need to go back and process it later. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yep. We want to do a one and done. Does that make sense? Yes. One I'm behind done. a one and done. I'm behind that. <laughs> yeah, I can go for that. Okay, so we're gonna we're on for. Uh, I learned a lesson from a gentleman named Robert Ponte years ago that said, "For those people that are seeking enlightenment on the planet, the trend is thirty second suffering. Mm. Thirty seconds. So you got thirty seconds to suffer, and then it's over. So it's a one and done. In my mind, it's like, okay, we're gonna get through this." You're going to suffer as much as you need to and that and then over was over. So for the threes, <clears throat> their value is love and their virtue is humility, which is, you know, so funny. But um, no, that's twos, not threes. <laughs> so we were talking but, about the the release is the four. Yes, the release is the four and the stretch is the eight. So when people need, when you as a two need to let off steam, when you feel overwhelmed, then you go to the four. The four is the quiet specialist. No, that's not right. The intense creative. So that's where, and intense creatives tend, along with twos, tend to feel their emotions very intensely. And for some fours, they really like to hang out in them, swim mm-hmm. in those emotions, but, and then use that energy in their creative process. So a lot of people, you know, that write intense poetry, they're fours because it's all that emotion that's coming, that they're swimming in, that they're using to, to source their poetry or to source their writing or their art. So mm-hmm. we see a lot of people live in those deep emotions as four people so taking so we can learn from them is that when we have those intense when you as a two have intense emotions that you need to deal with to be in a quiet space and then to use those emotions to move through you in a creative way to you know whether it's paint or collage or whatever you know um For me, my fourness is I will get an empty house if it's just me and I will wear an outfit that I would never wear anywhere else. And I will dance to music that I enjoy, but don't usually dance to. And it's like, it's just me. I'm in my experience and it's allowed to be whatever it is. And I take such joy at the fact that nobody knows that I'm dancing to, you know, Justin Bieber, whatever it is. And I'm wearing just this shirt with these silly socks. Like I, for whatever reason, I get a lot of joy out of, out of that. Yeah. So whatever is, whatever feels like, um, that moving into four sensitivity, aesthetic, uh, intense, deep, creative, expressive, emotional. So probably if, if I was thinking back and I was thinking about, about you as a young adult, and I thought, really, probably all of Amy's dance was helping her balance some of her two stuff. Uh-huh. Because all of your dance, see, would have been intense. It was creative. In some ways, you would talk about how deeply, it, deeply, you know, the emotion was in these movements. And so that would be very much for energy. So mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. I thought she probably had some of that going on, that that's been an outlet for her, you know. Yeah. When you were a young adult. Yeah. So that's a release line. So the stretch line, I think of the stretch line, which is your eight, which is the thing that you're going to stretch into. Like you keep knocking up against the same issue, the same problem, whatever. And you haven't, what you've tried in the past didn't work. Like you haven't gotten to where you needed to go. Okay, it's time for the big dogs now. It's time for me to really do something different. So the stretch line is, but you got to have, you got to have energy 
you got to have a fairly, you got to be pretty balanced emotionally to go into that stretch place. Okay. Because it's going to take more energy. Like the release line is a place to let off energy, negative energy. But you Mm got to build up some positive energy if you're going to go into that stretch place. Okay. Because you think about your stretch line is the eight, which is the ability to exercise personal power and assert your opinions and your needs. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Sure. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta have, you know, you gotta pull up from the core in order to get to that. So if you're feeling, if your emotions are not pretty strong and pretty clear, going to an eight is going to be a hard, hard stretch. Does that make sense? Yeah. So and doesn't mean that there's not a lot of value there. For goodness sakes, there's tons of value there. But how are you going to get there? So partly that's the value of doing some emotional clearing technique is because, okay, because I can pretty much tell you those top eights, that place where you said, I'm going to be like this forever. Those eights are like, I call BS on that. Right. You know what I mean? They're, they're, yeah. You know, now fours. They could live with it forever because they like to hang out in that stuff and the intensity of it. Whereas eights are like, Mm-mm, nope, I'm calling BS and I'm moving on because remember their keywords, strong, take charge, be decisive, be self-assured, self-assured, be self-assured, be confrontational, be frank, magnet, magnetic and power centered. Ooh, the eight is interesting. I've had to intentionally step into it one or two times that I know of with work because with my two-ness, especially with the self-pres too, sometimes it feels as though I'm waiting for somebody to come into my business and tell me what to do so that I can make sure it pleases people. Yeah. And that doesn't work. So it's like I have to gear myself up to be a person that makes decisions Yes, (laughs) for myself. Yeah. That that's not motivated by what I think other people are going to like. That's motivated by here's what I think the business needs, or here's what I think people need, um, or here's what you know my guides are saying. But I have, but I, you're right. Like I have to give myself enough for. I have to give myself enough release in order to refill my emotional bank account, Stephen Covey, in order to have what I need to step into that eight. Exactly. I keep thinking there's going to be a day where I'm just going to like live on eight Island, but it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for the most part, people don't live on the places where they feel like it's the stretch. Cause for, I mean, we try to say that all types are good and everybody should appreciate all types. But the truth is there are certain types that are, that we feel more naturally more resistant to. <clears throat> Does that make sense? <clears throat> sure. And because eight is your stretch line, you naturally have more resistance to the eight because they feel to you like mean people. Yeah, to me, they, they feel abrasive. They feel abrasive. They feel dismissive. They feel rude. Mm-hmm. Yes. possibly yeah so why would i want to step into that it has its benefits so when you think about okay Uh, what's what's the high side of eight you know i don't want to step into that low side of eight that feels like the person i don't value and respect whereas if i lean into what's the high side of eight oh these are people that get stuff done these are people that you know, contribute in a way. These are people that um, can make decisions. There are the people that, you know, don't mind taking charge. Okay, so is there some value in that for me? Yeah, there's some value there. So let me lean into that part and recognize that Hassad. Mm. So let me ask you this. Okay. If anybody takes the Enneagram, let's say there are two like me, automatically their wings are going to be the same because the wings of the two are one and three are all twos. All twos are going to have the eight as their stretch and the four is the release. Yes. Okay. Okay. So if somebody takes the Enneagram, then they could go back and listen to our previous episode to learn what their stretch and their release is. 
yes. if they want to employ this coaching yeah. that we've talked about. Yeah. So, yes. So now I will say, let me back up. Yeah. For the integrative Enneagram, the type that I work with, mm -hmm. our philosophy, our research says that people's wings are literally the numbers on either side of their their prior type number primary yeah. type. whereas there are some folks out there that will give you an enneagram assessment and they'll tell you you are a two with a six wing which makes no sense to me because okay. two and six are not anywhere if you look at it on the diagram right. on that wheel which is the ancient geometry this the stuff where this comes out of that ancient philosophy Two and six are not related. I mean, they're not side by side. There's nothing. Right. There's nothing that connects the two and six. So to me, that's a false uh, philosophy in my opinion of the enneagram. Okay. When I think about the enneagram, the the wings are always going to be those two numbers on either side. So, and then the wings are always going to be following that ancient geometry, that ancient architecture that's represented in the in the diagram so that makes sense to me as well yeah because i otherwise it would be a chaotic like who could be a two with a six wing doesn't make sense. so um so for the integrative type um that to me has all the research behind it has the the psychometric testing i feel very comfortable yes that your wings are always the numbers on either side of you well, it does seem to me also, I'd get, I'm curious for your feedback on this, but from the little that I know from each number, it does seem to me like there's a logical um, sequence that, that two would follow one and that three would follow two. Like they, I don't want to say they build on one another because it's not like a building. It's not like one is more basic or less intense than the other, but there, it makes sense to me that there's like, oh, how do I describe it? I mean, the one and the three are both more task oriented. Right. The two and the four are both more emotional. Like, it seems like there's some rhythms in the way that it, the numbers evolve. That right. to me makes sense why the wings would always kind of be the same. Yeah. Because there's some natural rhythms, just as you were saying with the ancient geometry or the sacred geometry, like there's some um, sacred geometry involved. Right. Well, in every, um, so within each section of the nine, three of the numbers fall in the feeling, primarily in the feeling center. Three of the numbers prim fall primarily in the thinking center. And three of the numbers fall primarily in the action center. And then uh. within those, one, two, and three, within those, you've got, one that's going to be um, highly more feeling centered of the feelers. You've got a more feeling centered and mm -hmm. then you have one that's going to be less feeling centered. And then you're going to have one that's going to be more neutral. So you've got high, high, low and medium feelers, high, low, medium thinkers, high, low, medium action oriented people. Does that make sense? So yes. yeah, there you go. So two and four are feelers. Yep. What's the other feeler? Uh, well, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Nines, the nines. Oh, oh, of nines. course. Nines, yeah. Think about nines. Okay, so two, four, and nine are the feelers. Which ones are the thinkers? Well, uh, okay, so one, two, and three live in the feeling center. Oh, okay, one, two, that's the feeling three center. I live in the feeling center. The thinking numbers are four, five, and six. Okay. And we got our skeptics there. Four being the emotional thinkers. Five being the deep, quiet thinkers, the internalized thinkers. Six, those are the action people because they're so worried about everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket and, you know, the next shoe's going to drop. Those are the risk averse people. They're always checking for risk. They're, you know, they're looking so for stability. So but four, action. five, six is thinking. Is thinking, but uh -huh. six is is the, the action-oriented action thinker. Think, exactly. Gotcha. Whereas okay. four, 
feeling oriented thinker. Does that make yes. Now we go, okay, that makes sense. And then seven, seven eight, eight, nine are the action, action ones, and nine's the feeling action. Right. Nine's okay. the act, feeling action. Eight's the action action. Action. And seven's the thinking action. The visionary. Yes. They're the visionary. Oh, that makes so much sense. Doesn't it, though? Yes. Talk about sacred geometry. That makes so much sense. And so it always goes thinking, feeling, action, thinking, feeling, action. No, because four three. is feeling first. Four is okay, feeling it first. doesn't. Okay, so it's just yeah. the first. Got it. It's just wow. that there's, they, we cluster in those particular types, those particular orientations. And then we look to see, and if you remember in your report, you, you, we talk about whether or not your thinking, feeling, and action center are internalized, externalized, or neutral. Mm. And so, you know, then there's variation within that. So that's how yeah. that, that plays. So, yeah, but it does make sense. Yeah, it does. And there's a lot more... There's a lot more to the Enneagram than, or at least, excuse me, to the integrative Enneagram than, than meets the eye. <laughs> oh, there's so much here. Yeah, it's tons, tons of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you well, could spend a whole bunch of time just working with your values and your virtues. You could spend a whole bunch of time just working around your holy idea. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you coming back to my experience of feeling is often that I get, I go from two to four relatively quick sometimes yeah. and I stay in that four for a while and then something will happen and I'll be like, come on, Amy, be it, you know, like something happens where I'm just like, and I'm done with this, yep. but I don't always have the support or the resources to help me do whatever it is the eight would do. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming and giving so, me some thoughts and some strategies to help me shift into that. Yeah. So you just say, what is it? What would an eight do? You know, how would it, what would an eight do in this situation? I mean, an eight takes no prisoners. <laughs> well, yeah, they, <laughs> they're, they're, but you could think about them from the high side. The value of the eight is that they they have capacity to get things done. Mm -hmm. It's not about, they're not, most eights, good eights, high-sided eights, they're not out to offend people. They're not out to make people angry or right. to take prisoners. That's true. They're just out to make things happen. They got capacity. Yeah. They can make decisions. I love it. That's an, I mean, for a two, that's actually quite inspiring. Right. So they're not really out to, now, there are some ogreish eights, you know, some undeveloped, low-sided eights that we would say, you know, yeah. Sure. We all have all types of every type. <laughs> we have, we, and we all know some of those. So, but the high-sided eights, it's like, okay, they're out there using their, eight energy for good in the world yeah so you could say okay the high side of eight is capacity i have capacity and uh, i have strength and power mm. hey, i use my i have capacity and i add and i couple that with power strength decisiveness now I'm going. You just wrote me a mantra. I have capacity. I have strength and power. Right. Like that's something that I need. Because it, it's not untrue. I know that about myself, but I don't think about it and remember it. Well, because it's not what motivates you as a two. But it's what allows me to live out my two purpose to the extent that I want to. Exactly. And what will allow you to live out the high side of two right. without the suffering side. Exactly. Like the eight, there's been moments of, of three and of eight that are 80% of the outcome of my business. <laughs> yeah. You know, like 
my two side is the probably the the intuitive and the person that does the readings, but none of that happens without the other work. Exactly. That so. is the practical task oriented three, the get it done, make decisions eight. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your help. And we're going to have all sorts of show notes, Sedona Method, Integrative Enneagram. I mentioned Stephen Covey. We've mentioned all I sorts mentioned of Bi good stuff. We mentioned Byron Katie. Byron Katie. So we're going to have all sorts of links in the show notes. And obviously we'll have, um, what is it, foyandassoc.co? Is that your website? Or is it foyandassociates.co? Is uh, where you can find Stephanie Foy if you'd like to learn more. And we'll talk to you next week, loves. Bye.